You're listening to Comedy Central. June 3rd, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Infectious. Our guest tonight is a Democratic congressman from California and a candidate for President of the United States. Eric Swalwell is joining us, everybody. <laughs> also on tonight's show, President Trump is invading the UK. Forbes announces the first rap billionaire and the eight children who broke the dictionary. So let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's begin with Jared Kushner. President Trump's son-in-law, White House senior advisor, and guy who always looks like he thinks you just farted. (laughs) Despite his important role in the administration, Kushner rarely does on-camera interviews. And this weekend, we found out why. Alexandria Mm -hmm. Ocasio-Cortez, she calls, she has called President Trump a racist. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen him say or do anything that you would describe as racist or bigoted? So uh, the answer is uh, uh, no, absolutely not. Uh, You can't not be a racist for 69 years, then run for president and be a racist. Was birtherism racist? Um, Look, I wasn't really involved in that. I know you weren't. Mm -hmm. Was it racist? Uh, Like I said, I I wasn't involved in that. I know you weren't. Mm -hmm. Was it racist? Um, Look, I know who the president is, and I have not seen anything in him that is racist. So again, I was not involved in that. Did you wish he didn't do that? Uh, Like I said, I was not involved in that. That was a long time ago. Well, that's an interesting way to think of racism. You can only identify it if you see it firsthand. Was slavery racist? I don't know, man, I wasn't there, okay? (laughs) I just heard good things, I wasn't there. I mean, if Jared's rule is that he can't comment on something he hasn't witnessed firsthand, then there must be all sorts of things he can never talk about, like dinosaurs or or the female orgasm. (laughs) But, but still, It is refreshing that Jared didn't just lie the way Kellyanne Conway or Sarah Huckabee Sanders would. Yeah, because you know, if one of them got asked that question, they would have been like, no, Trump wasn't racist for birtherism. Obama was racist for being born in Kenya. (laughs) But like, seriously, how is Jared so bad at lying? You know, he's around Trump all the time. (laughs) You you would think that he would practice. That's like working the night shift at Waffle House and not knowing how to throw a punch. You're gonna get knocked out. (laughs) Moving on, as you know, The Democratic Party now has a record 24 people running for president, 24. At this point, forget the primaries, we can just solve this with a Royal Rumble. And because most of their policies are the same, some of the Democrats have decided to switch things up to try and make a splash. More than a dozen 2020 candidates were in California this weekend for the state's Democratic convention. And the boos rained down on some of them when they dared to criticize Ideas like socialism and Medicare for all. Medicare for all may sound good, but it's actually not good policy, nor is it good politics. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. If we want to beat Donald Trump and achieve big progressive goals, 
Socialism is not the answer. I was re-elected. I was re-elected in a purple state. You know, what's funny is the crowd's not booing. They're just saying, who are you? Who? Who? <laughs> but yes, this event did not go well for Hickenlooper and Delaney. Uh, in fact, it was a disaster. Uh, I mean, do you know how unpopular you have to be to have Trump in a sentence, but people are booing you? Forget Trump, you! <laughs> this is one of the moments where they're lucky that nobody actually knows who they are. Yeah. Seriously, if I was John Hickenlooper and said something no one liked, I would just say I'm another candidate, yeah. Once the crowd starts booing, I'd be like, that's right, you heard it from me, Tim Ryan. Goodbye, everybody. If you hate me, vote for John Hickenlooper. <laughs> Moving on to some breaking news from the world of entertainment. Hip-hop legend Jay-Z is now big pimping on another level. Well, Justin, Jay-Z is hip-hop's first billionaire. Forbes announcing that this morning, the magazine looked at rapper's entire portfolio, including his music, his investments, and his art collection. Congratulations, Jay-Z. From hustling on the corner to having $1,000 million. Yeah, it must feel great. The only downside is, this is his new squad. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where you're rolling. That's who you're with. And because he's a billionaire, forget Nas, now Jay-Z has got beef with Bernie Sanders. Yeah. <laughs> He's gonna be like, he's got 99 problems and the 99% would like their share of those problems. <laughs> it's time to break up Jay-Z and Beyonce like they're the big banks. <laughs> and I, I'm like, I'm happy for Jay-Z, but at the same time, I feel bad for him. Cause if you're a black person and Forbes announces that you have a billion dollars, best believe you're about to get a billion long lost cousins. <laughs> like if I got a billion dollars, and they just announced it. People in Africa would lose their shit. I'd be getting phone calls every day from random Africans just on the phone. They'd be like, uh, hello, Trevor, it's me, your cousin, Barry. Uh, hello? <laughs> I'd be like, Barack, I thought you said you were born in Hawaii. He'd be like, uh, look, uh, I wasn't really involved in that. That was a long time ago. <laughs> I wasn't there. <laughs> so, uh... So yeah, this is a big day. Jay-Z is officially a billionaire and he's married to Beyonce. But is he truly happy? <laughs> yes, of course he is. <laughs> he's happier than you'll ever be. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. <laughs> the United Kingdom, what was once the world's largest empire, is now just a rainy island struggling with Brexit, a resigning prime minister, and a super spy who probably has a thousand STDs. <laughs> and on top of all of that, now they have to deal with Trump. The president and first lady touched down in England early this morning for the three-day state visit with one of America's closest allies. The first family received a royal welcome at Buckingham Palace from Queen Elizabeth. Her majesty then hosted a private lunch and afternoon tea for the Trumps. They then toured the palace's royal collection of art and historic gifts. The queen did in fact give to President Trump a first edition of a Winston Churchill book on the Second World War called Second World War. That's right. The Queen's gift for Donald Trump was a book. <laughs> Either she doesn't know Trump or she's trolling him. <laughs> Why would you give Donald Trump a book? Everyone knows the man doesn't read. I wish I was there when the Queen gave him his gift. She's like, here you go, Donald, a book about World War II. 
It's like, wow, this is sad. Yes, many lives were lost. No, I mean the fact that I have to read. It's so sad. <laughs> for real though, Donald Trump has no use for a book. It's a useless gift. It's like giving Stevie Wonder a fish tank. It's like, uh, <laughs> so what, what's happening now, Stevie, is the blue one is swimming at the top and now the, the yellow one is, is swimming in a, you know, you'd love it. You'd, you'd love it. I, I didn't think this through. Now, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked if the queen was actually trolling <laughs> Donald Trump, right? Because <laughs> over the weekend, he was in the news for a comment that he made about Princess Meghan Markle. And as if that wasn't bad enough, before he landed in the UK, he was also trading blows with the mayor of London. As President Trump was departing for London last night, he took a shot at that city's mayor, Sadiq Khan, who's been a sharp critic of the president. Before even landing on British soil, he tweeted his disdain for London Mayor Sadiq Khan, whom he describes as a stone-cold loser. The two are not scheduled to meet. I don't think much of him. I think that he's a, uh, he's the twin of de Blasio, except shorter. Wait, what? That's a really weird diss. This guy's shorter than Bill de Blasio. Yeah, everyone is shorter than Bill de Blasio. <laughs> guy's like seven feet tall. It's like someone being like, ha ha, this guy's less money than Jeff Bezos. Yeah, that's all of us. <laughs> it's also impressive that Donald Trump started a beef with London's mayor while he was still in the air. He sent his tweets <laughs> ahead of, it's almost like he sends his beefs ahead of him so that he has something to do when he lands. <laughs> yeah? Because otherwise he'd just have to pick a fight with a random palace guard, you know? <laughs> Just be like, nice hat, loser. Porn from the 70s called. They want their bush back. <laughs> now, now, Trump didn't just go to the UK to roast the royal family and little de Blasio, no. He also went there to share some of that political acumen that he's so famous for. The president's already inflamed tensions here by weighing in on the fiery debate over the country's planned departure from the European Union. After criticizing embattled Prime Minister Theresa May during his last visit, now suggesting the pro-Brexit former mayor of London, Boris Johnson, would be a good candidate to succeed May, who leaves office this week. He's been a friend of mine. He's been very nice. I have a very good relationship with him. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. We all, we all see it, right? <laughs> We're all seeing the same thing. Yeah, of course he likes him. The UK is on the verge of electing a prime minister who looks exactly like Donald Trump. I mean, look at these guys. I've never seen two people who both look like failed clones of each other. <laughs> Like, these guys look so much alike that if they wanted to, they could pull a parent trap, switch places, and no one would notice. Yeah, at least until Boris sent a tweet with no typos, and then people would be like, wait a minute. <laughs> so, between sticking his nose in British politics and fighting with the mayor, Trump hasn't made the greatest impression, which probably explains why the British haven't exactly rolled out the red carpets. Mr. Trump will not stay overnight in Buckingham Palace. He will not ride in an open carriage as other state visitors have done. And he will not be allowed to address Britain's parliament. If you're wondering why isn't he staying at Buckingham Palace as George W. Bush did and as Barack Obama did, that is because apparently they are having uh, massive renovations. Really? 
Really? All 52 bedrooms in Buckingham Palace are being renovated at the same time? All of them? Come on, man. Like, I know you don't want Trump to stay there, but that's a terrible excuse. Cause now I'm picturing the queen being like, Donald, I really tried to get your room, but the manager said, no. I'm sorry, Donald, it's above me now. It's like, please, everyone else stays here. I'm sorry, Donald, the best Western is next door. <laughs> so that was day one of Trump's visit to the UK. And uh, we'll check in on how things go tomorrow after he meets with Prime Minister Theresa May and gives her an extra special gift, a book about World War II. <laughs> we'll be right back. a big weekend in sports, which means it's time for another edition of I Apologize for Talking While You Were Talking. That's Michael Costa. I'm Roy Wood Jr. Costa, it's yep. June. Do you know what that means? It's time to crash some high school graduation parties. Am okay. I right? Okay, that is not what I was thinking. June is championship season. French Open. Yep. NBA Finals. Yep. And the Stanley Cup. You watching the hockey? Yeah, no, that's for white people, Roy. But I'll tell you what I did watch. I watched the National Spelling Bee combines two of my favorite things, clutch performance yep. and child labor. And this year, <laughs> these little weirdos were working overtime. At the Scripps National Spelling Bee, not one, not two, but eight champions. For the first time in the 92 years of the competition, spellers could not be stumped. After 20 grueling rounds, it was just before midnight and on a school night too. Bewildered judges simply ran out of words, threw up their hands, crowning all eight middle schoolers. The kids won the spelling bee. Hang on, this, this, this competition lasted nine hours and it ended in a tie. A tie? They say a tie is like kissing your sister. Yep. So I guess an eight-way tie would be like kissing seven of your sisters. Well, you know, you're the one from Alabama, so I'll take your word for it, but I can't, he should have the right to kiss his sister. I can't believe they ran out of the words in dictionary. No, no, let's be specific here, Costa. They ran out of white words in the dictionary. <laughs> Next time this happens, here's what they should do. Okay. Just start spelling words from black Twitter. That's how you tie break it. Oh. Mr. Costa? Okay. Your word is ooh child. Um, um, ooh child. Mm. Uh, oh boy, I don't want to sound racist. I forfeit. So that is the right move. Now let's talk basketball. You keeping up with the NBA Finals, Scott? Ah, uh, nah, that's for black people, Roy. <laughs> the Raptors and Warriors are in the finals. Toronto had a big game one victory. So for game two. Golden State brought out their secret weapon. With all this talk about the Toronto celebrity superfan, well, the Warriors countered with their own last night, saying, we'll see your Drake and raise you one Obama. President Barack Obama greeted Drake backstage before the game, and then he sat with NBA Commissioner Adam Silver for the action, and Obama also got a huge ovation uh, during the game when he was introduced on the Jumbotron. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a big Toronto welcome to the 44th president 
of the United States. It's Mr. Barack Obama! How far Obama has come. Nobel Peace Prize, two-term president, and now some drunk Canadians chanting MVP? Yeah, I gotta admit though, I kinda feel bad for the man. Obama can't go anywhere without being announced. Man can't even go eat at IHOP without somebody coming over to speaker in the corner booth, eating the beans, the 44th president of the United States, Barack Obama! And and I hate those jumbotrons they put people on. I mean, they throw you up there, then you have to kiss whoever you're sitting next to. Now I just kiss my dad on the lips, you know? Guess I gotta move to Alabama. All right. That's enough jokes about my home state house. I'll slap the shit out of you. Anyway, moving on. Let's move on to America's true pastime. Boxing, yep. where minorities punch each other in the face. Costa, do you this, want- This is my favorite sport. Well, there was a big fight over the weekend where the new champion put the heavy in heavyweight. And finally, what a stunner on Saturday night at the world's most famous arena. Andy Ruiz Jr. in 11 to one long shot, knocked out Anthony Joshua in the seventh round to take Joshua's three heavyweight championship belts. Ruiz Jr. is the first Mexican-American boxer in history to become heavyweight champion of the world. He was not supposed to put up much of a challenge against Joshua, but the six foot two, 268 pounder put on quite the display. El Rocky Andy Ruiz Jr., he's your new undisputed heavyweight champ of the world after being what's called one of the biggest upsets in modern heavyweight boxing history. Yes, yes. You know why I'm so happy about this costume? What? This isn't just a win for Ruiz, okay. it's a win for normal bodied guys everywhere. Next time, Next time my doctor says I'm overweight, I go, no, I'm built like a champion. And that's true. It's so... Champion right there. It is. It is. Champion. Champion. It's very inspiring. I mean, I'm so inspired, that's why I'm canceling my gym membership. I mean, all that thing's done has gotten me athlete's foot in addiction to protein powder. Turns out you're not supposed to snort it. Oh. Well, you know, I'm built like Ruiz. You know yeah. what, maybe maybe I should try getting in the box. I'm so glad you said that because I actually signed you up for a fight tonight, Roy. Oh, really? Like, 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 like a boxing match? It's more like an underground knife fight. Um, you're gonna be great, so. This is a plastic knife. I need you to go down in the third and make it look real. I'm gonna die. Michael Costa, Roy with you and everyone. We'll be right back. My guest tonight represents the 15th District of California in the House of Representatives and is running for President of the United States. Please welcome Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, I love the show. Uh, what a journey to be on, running for President along with 23 other Democratic candidates. Yeah. It's like a rugby scrum. Yeah, getting, it really is, right? Crowded. Do you guys yeah. get like a bulk discount? Is this like a Costco <laughs> run? What's going on? <laughs> That's right. Why do you think so many Democrats are running for president right now? Well, I think we're like the Avengers. We all want to save America. <laughs> it's not 
like the Hunger Games, the Republicans yes. in 2016. And right. so I, I think people bring different experiences. For me, my experience is I was the first in my family to go to college. I know right. why people work hard. My wife and I have got two kids, two and seven months. So we're fighting healthcare companies. Uh -huh. We're worried about childcare. We're worried about our kids' safety. He went to preschool for the first day uh, today. I think my wife like dropped him off and then waited in the parking lot for like wow. five hours. Like she didn't want to let him go. <laughs> And so all these issues that are especially generational, and I'm paying off my student loans. Like, we get it, we live it, and put me in the White House and I'll be a voice for those issues. Right. Because I know what they mean to so many people. But let me ask you this, though. There are so many Democratic candidates who seem to be speaking to similar issues. Yeah. You know, they, they're speaking about universal pre-K, they're speaking about gun control, they're speaking about student debts, et cetera. Like, what are you, are you yeah. thinking of anything to differentiate yourself? Like, maybe yeah. a mustache or like a monocle or something? <laughs> Just, no one's wearing a monocle. That'll like set you apart. No one's like, wearing the a guy, monocle. The guy with the um, thing? I'm wearing an orange ribbon uh, today because right. I think gun violence and ending gun violence has to be the number one issue for the next president because it's the most important issue that doesn't have a champion. That's interesting. So you, that's like yeah. your platform. So then tell, tell me about it then, because I mean, you know, d d Democrats have been on the gun control, uh, you know, in the conversation, sensible yeah. gun reform. What is your proposal? Yeah. Uh, so first and foremost, I approach it as a, as a father who sends his kid to school, as a former prosecutor in Oakland uh, who saw street violence and also you know, domestic violence, uh -huh. and somebody who went to Congress when Sandy Hook happened. And then we had thoughts and prayers, nothing. Right. San Bernardino, Charleston, Vegas, Pulse, nothing, nothing, nothing. And I'm just getting frustrated. And I saw after Parkland that while we were always being told, you know, you just mourn the dead, don't talk about what you could have done to protect them, that the parents and students picked themselves up and they marched and they wanted to do something. Right. And they converged with people on the south side of Chicago. They converged with the Brady and the Giffords group and the Sandy Hook Promise, and they beat 17 NRA-endorsed members of Congress. So what I think we can do and what I would do as president, first and foremost, ban, buy back every single assault weapon in America. Wow. 50 million of them, buy them back. Australia did it, New Zealand did it, we can do it too. Wow. I mean, you say that, but I mean, you do know, and I mean, I, I don't know if I should be the one to tell you, but there, there are bumper stickers in this country that read, you can pry my gun from my cold, dead hands. Yeah. So are you proposing confiscation if people don't allow for their assault rifles to be bought back? What I'm proposing is that we're gonna buy them back. If you wanna keep it, it can only be possessed at a hunting club or a shooting range. Uh-huh. And if you don't give it back, then like anything else, yes, it, it would, be a criminal penalty. There's not gonna be a roundup or anything like that, but I right. think that we love our kids more than we love our guns. And we were always told, don't mess with the NRA. Yes. I think people are saying now, don't mess with the moms. They're gonna have our back on this issue. And so ban and buy back, but also background checks. Yes. And then I went to the south side of Chicago a couple weeks ago uh, in the Englewood neighborhood. And I know this issue is not just churches and schools right. where the shootings are happening. Uh, a woman named Tamar Manasseh, she's taken over a couple blocks and she told me something that just really hit me right here. She said, you look at all of these like they're murders. They're also suicides. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, if you're pulling the trigger, chances are you don't wanna live. You're hungry, you're stressed out, you're looking over your shoulder because you don't know who's right. after you. You're not gonna take your own life, but you know if you kill someone else, you're gonna be retaliated against. And she said, if that's the condition of your neighborhood, why would you even wanna live to be 30? or 40. So block by block, we have to invest in jobs and education and put hope where places really, really need hope. So not a crime bill, a hope bill. Wow, that's an interesting approach to take to the whole problem. <laughs> you, 
you're, you're, you're in a group that is really progressive. As you said, it's, yeah. it's more Avengers than it is Hunger Games. Um, as you saw, though, at, yeah. the, at the, the convention that the Democrats just held, there was a lot of booing for anyone that decided, yeah. no, maybe Thanos should keep wondering. <laughs> um, <laughs> how do you align with the rest of the Democratic views? For instance, Medicare for All has become yeah. the bigger conversation with, like, Bernie on one side saying, this is it, Medicare for All, which right. many people assume to mean no private health insurance. Where do you stand on this? Yeah, Medicare for anyone who wants it. That, that's how I see it. So it's, it's a public option. It recognizes that a lot of people, they like their union plan. Uh-huh. Let them keep it. But right now, I think every person should have health care. It's a health care guarantee. It's a bigger government responsibility to make right. sure it's affordable, accessible, and you're not charged more with the pre-existing condition. So uh-huh. that's my plan. But I also, again, generationally, I see that we have become the GoFundMe generation. Like, when someone gets sick, yes. we don't count on the government anymore that we're going to find a cure. We just set up a GoFundMe account. Mm-hmm. And I want to change that. I want to invest in genomics research and targeted therapies and data sharing and use that as a way to bring down the cost you, you say and extend inv- the quality of life. Right, you say invest, but my question is, like, where do you get the money to do that? Because, I mean, if you, you've seen yeah. the, the big issue America has faced is healthy people have gone, well, yeah. I don't want or need health insurance. Right. Young people have said, I can't, infor- I can't afford yeah. this health insurance. So now you have sick people jumping onto the yeah. exchanges and then you have people who can afford it jumping onto yeah. private ones. So how do you figure out where the pieces go and where the money fits in? Yeah, first, we will always be the strongest military in the world. I don't think we have to spend more than the next seven countries do on their military to do that. So I'm gonna reduce the nuclear weapons budget. A trillion dollars over the next 30 years is what we're gonna spend on nuclear weapons. I think the health and education of our people, that should be the the tip of the spear as far as our national defense. We're gonna reform the capital gains tax so that the wealthiest aren't paying a lower corporate tax rate than the lowest paid employee. And we're gonna get rid of, we're gonna put back in place the inheritance tax to make sure that generational wealth is not just passed on. That will go a long way to covering this. But investing in cures, again, I think the long-term return on that investment is going to be lower healthcare costs. Wow. You know, a lot of people have called you fairly centrist, but it seems like your ideas would be considered left and radical for many people. When you're running in this game, there is one thing that is going to hang over your head. Yeah. And that is, as you joked, <laughs> you know, the one thing that you joked about as well is, is you are another white man. Yeah. That's, you said that, not my words, yeah. right? I, I see you for you. <laughs> I see you for you. Yeah. Right. I don't see color. Yeah. <laughs> and so... And, and you had an interesting response to this. You, you said that you, you understand that you're in this position and you understand that there will be certain blind spots that you have yeah. or places where your, 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 your information is not complete because of who you are. And so that's when you will look to others. The criticism has been yeah. by some that by that definition, you should be making way for yeah. somebody else. How do you then say to somebody, hey, vote for me, another white guy, when there are people of color who are running, if by your words you are saying that they don't have the blind spots that you have? Yeah, well, I I believe I I do see other identities. And any white male running first has to acknowledge their white male privilege. Right. That that is real, and you should acknowledge it. You should also acknowledge that for communities of color, particularly African-American communities, I think we have an original sin of slavery that we still have not wholly and rightfully dealt with. And I'm supporting, you know, creating a commission on reparations to figure out how to deal with that and make sure that we right so many communities who have been wronged, you know, by investing in their communities through education, healthcare. Because even for me, growing up, first in the family to go to college, it, was, it would have been much harder if I was a young black man. It would have been a different criminal justice system. It would have cost more for college. Uh, African-Americans take on more student debt. It would have mm-hmm. cost more for healthcare. So you have to see and understand that experience. And when I say pass the mic, I mean 
put together a diverse team who can speak to those issues when you may not necessarily be the right person to speak to those issues. Well, that's an interesting approach that you're gonna to take to it. Uh, I do find one part of your story particularly more fascinating than the other parts, and that is that you're from Idaho. Iowa. Iowa, sorry, yeah. you're from Other Iowa. Eyes. You're from yeah. Iowa, and your parents yeah. voted for Donald yeah. Trump. We're gonna have to, you know, work on them. <laughs> but, but, but really, this is, this, is, this is, it goes to the core of, of, of the question for me. If you could not convince your parents to vote <laughs> for Hillary Clinton, how do you think you would convince other Americans to not vote for Donald Trump yeah. when they did? Yeah. So using your parents as that archetype, how do you then convince other Americans to not vote for him again? Yeah, so don't dismiss people like my parents. I also married a girl from Southern Indiana and she comes from the same hometown as Mike Pence. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm, I'm around this uh, and I reach across the dinner table before I ever have to reach across the aisle right. at work. I go on Fox News just so my family can see me on TV. Uh, <laughs> that's like the only way they're gonna see me. So, I went to Congress and I, I've worked in Congress to pass bipartisan legislation. I, I worked with the Republican to get rapid DNA uh, in our police stations so that rape victims can get justice uh, more swiftly and rape kits don't sit on the shelves, but right. the innocent can also be cleared more swiftly. I, I worked with uh, Representative Sensenbrenner from Wisconsin. It got signed into law by President Trump. So I'm not gonna dismiss working with Republicans. I'm, all, I'm not gonna dismiss Republicans who wanted higher wages, lower healthcare costs, and a brighter future put me on that stage and I'm gonna dismiss the guy who has utterly, utterly failed them, racked up more and more national debt for these tax cuts and reduced our standing in the world. I think that'll appeal to a lot of Republicans. I can add states. Wow, you've got an aggressive approach yeah. and you're really confident about it. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on thank the you, show. Sir. Thank you. An interesting journey. Congressman Eric Swallow, everybody. Yo, thank you very much. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.